Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you here with us for episode 49. For this episode, we're going to talk about something that people have asked that we talk about for a long time now, something that that we've wanted to talk about for a while and just have been putting off because it's the such political a, it's moment such a never seemed right. The political <laughs> moment never seemed right. It's a it's a difficult subject in many ways because it's so complicated and because it's so broken. The thing we wanted to talk about today is the healthcare system, which is obviously a uh, gigantic, gigantic mess, as someone put it quite recently. It is a bit of a crap tangle, and and that can make it difficult to diagnose. You know, even diagnosing the problem is a huge matter of controversy here in the United States about what is even wrong with the system in order to even address what needs to be done. It's a good point. You've got so many problems, and each party has different problems that they focus on, and it's hard to say what problem is driving what. You know, when there when there are a dozen problems which one is the real problem or which one do you need to fix, you know, how to prioritize them, how to assign some kind of culpability to these various issues is really difficult. And it's also very difficult to navigate the way that they impact each other. When you have a complex system, having one problem uh, is not just twice as, you know, it's not just easier than having two problems. It's often exponentially easier because the two problems often multiply each other. They, they, they create a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, an effect where it comes together and it's, it's much more, uh, it's much worse than you'd think. It's not merely additive. Um, we were thinking about, as I, we're looking into this episode, I was thinking a lot about how Brad and I go about trying to navigate political problems. Um, and basically we start with the premise that things should make sense. Now, often, Things don't make sense because we're idiots, right? We're, <laughs> you, you look at a problem, you look at something, you go, that doesn't make any sense. And then you learn about it and you go, oh, now it makes sense. I didn't understand this part of it, or I didn't understand their motivation here, or I didn't understand whatever it may be. And that's, that's useful because that's in some ways saying this doesn't make sense to me drives your education. Mm-hmm. It, it drives your ability to learn. And as you learn your ability to affect things in that sphere increases. I wish I were more curious about cars. I don't understand how cars work. I don't want to understand how cars work. (laughs) I've spent too much time already and it's, it doesn't, it does not uh, come natural to me, naturally to me, like, uh, like more abstract things do. But the point is that if you see something that doesn't make sense, you shouldn't assume that it does make sense until you understand the reasons why you look into it. Um, in physics, physics has a nice advantage here. When you see a plane fly and it doesn't crash and it doesn't explode, you already know that it works. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't make sense to you, that's a different kind of problem. You should assume that it makes sense to someone because it works. Politics, it's much harder to say if it's working. It's much harder to say that this works because often it's a scale. It doesn't explode spontaneously, generally. It just works less effective. Yeah, most people would agree that the medical system right now doesn't work, which is true in some senses, but obviously in other senses is not true because it is 
it is working. You know what I mean? There are hospitals are running. They're taking patients. You know, people are getting treated. The majority of people are getting treated and aren't being pushed aside, which means that something is working. You know, the system is obviously working to some degree. Maybe not the way we'd like it to. It doesn't mean it's not working, though. Right. And, and you can always imagine uh, optimizing it and running tests in a, in a physical sense in terms, of, in terms of machinery and jet engines and such. You can, you can see that things increase the efficiency or, no, or don't. It's so much harder in social science fields. Um, but one of the interesting things that happens, and I, I think plumbing is a useful analogy for this, and also uh, computer coding which some of you may not be as familiar with plumbing. You can, you can understand it immediately. Often what happens is, is you'll have some kind of plumbing problem and to fix the problem at the ideal level to, to really solve the problem, you'd have to replace something. You'd have to uh, remove the pipes, replace them with new ones. Maybe this, maybe it was put in wrong. Maybe it's just old and you need to replace things. Often, though, it's much easier to apply some kind of Band-Aid fix. It's easier to work around it. You can, you can put a new pipe here. You can bring it around the problem and connect it on the other side. And, and that'll work. That'll, that'll, that'll fix the problem in terms of now it's functional again, at least for a time. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do that. People will do that, try and do that forever where they, they'll just add more things and it becomes more and more convoluted. This is particularly funny in computer coding because in computer coding, you can, you can write in comments next to the code that you've written to explain what it does or to explain why you fixed it in the way you did. Um, so you've got a problem. The program stops working. It needs to be fixed. You look at it. You find that it it's hard to understand because it's in the context of a much bigger system that you probably didn't write. You're probably someone looking at this for the first time. And you can probably find a workaround pretty quickly. But to actually fix it at the fundamental level of the source code is really, really hard. It's really hard. And you've probably got some time constraint over your head. You don't have an infinite amount of time to mess with this problem. So you create the workaround and you hope that sometime in the future you can go back and you can fix the problem the way it should be fixed from the ground up. And uh, I, there are some funny forms and things where you can look these up and see, see the comments that coders put into the code as the first person makes it. They explain a little bit about what it does or maybe don't explain anything. And then there's a problem and the next person comes to fix it. And they put a quick fix on. They patch it. They come up with some way to make it work for now that probably creates other problems that are going to be unanticipated that will then have to be fixed and probably isn't as cohesive with the rest of the code as it needs to be to make it, to make it tight and to make it, to optimize it and to make it as efficient as it could be. And then the third person comes along and the fourth person because the band aid is the most likely place for it to break and for it to ruin, you know, for it not to work in the future. And eventually, as the the comments get funnier and funnier, as the people just as it becomes more and more convoluted, and you can imagine it like like the plumber looking at the 10 fixes that mm-hmm. other plumbers have done that didn't actually, you know, fix it from the ground up. 
And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And some of their comments are so funny as they're like, who knows what most of this does? And if you change it, it might break the thing in other ways. And with computer coding, it has to work together. You can't isolate the, the problem per se. It, it all comes together. And so uh, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the, the comments can get really, really funny. As people are trying to fix a problem that should have been fixed right initially. And at this point, it's almost unfixable. You just, you're, you're at the point where you're basically duct taping things together and just praying that it works. This is healthcare. <laughs> this, this is what healthcare is in so many ways. Uh, the layers are massive. And so explaining the problem is extremely difficult because you'd have to explain it across time. And you have to explain it as the legislation piles up, as the regulations come in, as the, the market adapts to various shortages or various laws and, and political acts, and, and then the fact that the states vary. Um, all of this makes it very difficult. Mm -hmm. but, but at this point, the easiest way, and what Brad and I uh, concluded was that the easiest way to explain it is in contrast to what it could be. And to what it looks like in a few cases that are actually happening today. Things that you can look at and say, oh my goodness, look at what they're doing. And look at how it works and look at how much better it is. And that in some ways is going to be a better endorsement than trying to take apart this mess that, that doesn't have an intentional plan behind it to begin with. You, know, you, can, you can critique something that has a plan. To critique a mess like this is in some ways... Uh, wasted effort because nobody wanted it like this, right? No, there's no driving idea that's consistently applied to get it this way. Um, and as Brad was saying, Republicans and Democrats will critique various things. Uh, they'll defend some things. Republicans often defend the medical system in a lot of ways because it still is providing world-renowned healthcare in many cases where people will travel to the U.S., to get treatment, yeah, which means we're doing how something good right. It is. Right, something something is working, but it could be so much better, and it could be so much better in a, in some really easy ways. You know, and and Dan, it's interesting that you talk about how how amazing some aspects of our healthcare system is because that's absolutely true. But part of the problem with that is that it obfuscates the change that's taken place over the last hundred and fifty mm -hmm. years or so, because the the medicine that we practice now bears very little resemblance to the medicine we were practicing 150 years ago. And so when people look at how weird the system is now and how expensive especially the system is now compared to 150 years ago, the answer is always, well, the care that you're getting now is much better than the care that you're getting then, which is absolutely true. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you yeah. know, the odds of you dying from any number of diseases 150 years ago is much higher than it is now. And so we don't want to compare, as Dan was saying, now to what we have back then. We want to talk about now versus now, because there are <laughs> there are options that are not just hypothetical, but are reality. But but before we do that, we do want to have a little bit of history because how the medical system works in general has changed. And, you know, some of the things we've talked about before, we've talked about in our patent episode, how patents create, you know, monopolistic advantages that allow 
ridiculously expensive drugs and other medical mm-hmm. paraphernalia mm-hmm. to charge enormous prices. A, a great example of that is uh, EpiPens. You know, epinephrine is dirt cheap. Epinephrine, anyone, you know, any any doctor will tell you that they get epinephrine for pennies, especially in terms of a <laughs> dose they use of epinephrine, literally costs the doctor pennies. And readily available, a very common drug, right? Then you have EpiPens. EpiPens were simply an ingenious device, a truly ingenious device, a simple stab-and-go device where you you have this little thing and you're able to to slam it into someone and administer the exact right amount of epi of epinephrine excuse me that they need in order to prevent the anaphylactic shock right which is something that a lot of people have allergies and it's a very it's a very high demand for this solution and so epipens became incredibly popular the problem is is that epipens have so many patents protecting what they've created, that it's not just that you can't create a knockoff of EpiPens, you can't do anything even close to what an EpiPen does without getting sued, which means that EpiPen has a complete corner on the market of stabby-wabby things for your epinephrine. (laughs) And which means your only option is either A, an EpiPen, or B, you can actually use a needle and syringe and administer epinephrine directly into a into a vein, which is something that really only, you know, a doctor right. or someone someone in the medical field can do. You don't want, you know, you don't want to have to administer with a needle if someone's going into anaphylactic shock. You know, hold still, I'm trying to stick right, this needle right. in your arm. Unless you've trained and practiced. Yeah, right? exactly. That's not a skill not you'd practical. want to, to learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, epinephrine, you know, EpiPens can charge eight hundred dollars for an EpiPen that costs them two or three dollars to manufacture. And and it will continue that way because of these patents that protect it. So that's one aspect of 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 medical care that we've talked about before, and you can listen to our patent episode to hear mm-hmm. more about that. The other, the other big one, and the one we want to focus on today, is how incentives become disaligned, as it were, and how those incentives becoming disaligned, and how the customer being separated from the cost of the product has caused so many of the problems we see in the medical industry today. Because the medical industry is unlike any other industry in many, many ways. You know, patents are in other industries too. And yet most other industries don't have the same problems that the medical industry does. And that's because of this disconnect. Right. And the main reason... Sorry, continue. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and the main reason for that is very simple. It's insurance. Insurance has created this disconnect. And we don't think that insurance companies are the devil. We really don't. We think that there was a natural progression that happened over time in terms of Dan was talking about with the code and the fixes that has evolved into the system we have now. We don't think it was some Mm -hmm. big, bad decision. 
insurance came about because people wanted it. People wanted to have the opportunity to pool risk to protect themselves from catastrophic problems and from financial ruin if they got seriously sick, which became more of a, a need as, you know, there was more medical procedures that became more expensive, you know, things like hospitals and, and complicated procedures that maybe didn't even exist 150 years mm -hmm. ago, which explains the need for it. But then right. over time, as insurance as in, has evolved, as regulations regarding insurance has evolved, there have been a lot of serious problems. And the biggest problem is that disconnect between the customer and the person creating the product. In other words, a disconnect between the customer and the doctor is the primary problem, I believe, in the medical industry today. You know, I think I think that's absolutely right. And and it comes about through a variety of ways. As you were saying, insurance makes perfect sense when you've got a one, one in a million or one in a hundred thousand chance of something really bad happening. And even if you saved money, you know, you'd have to save a ridiculous amount of money to pay for it. And so what you do is insurance comes about as a way to, to manage the risk of something ridiculously expensive, but very low probability. And everything else does not make sense for insurance. Now, if you look at, if, the, if you look at the way that insurance works today, um, if I am buying insurance so that I can go see the doctor when I'm sick and have ordinary checkups, I'm not managing risk of something low probability that I don't have the, the funds to pay for. What I'm doing is I'm actually just prepaying for healthcare. Mm -hmm. or prepaying for a part of healthcare yeah. because it's really convoluted. <laughs> yeah. right? That's because those are expected. I'm going mm -hmm. to get the flu. I'm going to get strep throat. I'm going to get a variety of illnesses that are not life-threatening and not expensive to manage. Yeah, just like I'm but, going to get checked up on a regular basis. Yes. That's, yeah. that's expected. And so when you're having insurance pay for it, you're simply prepaying for it as well as distributing the cost among everyone, even those who choose not to get those small things looked at. Right, right. It becomes really weird. It, it doesn't make the same sense and have the same logic that insurance has. It becomes somewhere between the insurance where you're pooling risk and a membership that prepays healthcare. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be one or the other. A membership is a perfectly good idea. And pooling risk is a perfectly good idea. To pretend they're the same is a stupid idea that doesn't make any sense. And when it doesn't make any sense like that, you go, why did this come about? And the answer is very simple. <laughs> yeah, the answer, there's actually a clear answer to this. We can actually trace this one to the legal decisions and the situation where this began to be a thing. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that, Brad, before I do the yeah, well, I think, government thing? I think one go, more go, aspect please. that really changes insurance is employer employer paid insurance that adds a whole nother element of weirdness to this like uh, let me give you a couple of examples just from personal experience so so my my wife is is i mean obviously i'm 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 younger and my wife is younger as well and so she's still on her her mother's insurance her mother works for a, a metropolitan police department and they have absolutely incredible insurance. The kind of insurance you're talking about, Dan, where it's basically prepaid yeah. healthcare. 
where mm-hmm. there's just no high deductible plan where anything, whether it's having a baby, having a baby to going to the emergency department, is all covered and just has very small copays. Which means, in terms of my wife's health care, we just know it's covered. We just know whatever we want to do. If we want to go to the emergency department today, we'll pay a small fee. If we want to go to the urgent care, we'll pay a small fee. But we really just don't have to worry about it. It's all completely covered. Now, that plan is incredibly expensive. And it's a plan that we would never sign up for if we had to pay that full cost. It's a plan that her mom would never sign up for if she had to pay the full cost of what that plan actually costs. And I know it's a lot because I know the the amount of money they've had to pay out just for us to have a baby and the, the health problems that arose because of having that baby is egregious. It's a lot of money. <laughs> and... And and we don't have to worry about it because that plan is got. And so it's a ridiculous amount of money that we would never pay. But because the city's paying it, it's no big deal for us. You know what I mean? Right, it's and not that's, your problem. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not my problem. I mean, I have a high deductible plan with my with my company that the the company pays the vast majority of that high deductible plan. You know what I mean? My plan is just for me and my son because my son can't be on his grandma's plan. And so he's on my plan. <laughs> Give it a few more years. Just kidding. And so and so Karen. my portion of that high deductible plan is is you know is around 160 180 dollars a month, which seems reasonable to me. You know, it's okay. You know, unless I spend more than $4,000 a year in medical expenses, I'm not really going to see anything from this plan. This plan is not giving me anything in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of urgent care visits or ER visits or any of those things that my wife was getting unless I hit these super high deductibles. The crazy thing about my plan is that my company is paying upwards of $1,000 a month on their side for that high deductible plan, which means that we're paying together, me and my company, about 12 grand a year for this high deductible plan that I'm never really planning on using anything from. And that's insane to me. That's insane that it's that high without the majority, I mean, the vast majority of people who work at my work have the same exact plan and are not using it. It's only those who have extreme cases who are using it, and yet it costs so much. But because the employer is paying the vast majority of it, and the employer has no choice, my company has more than 500 employees. They are required by law to have at least a high deductible plan. Like they're choosing a bare bones plan. And it's still costing them this insane amount of money, and legally they have no other option. And here we are. We have a system where I have insurance that I would never choose, but my my you know company has to pay for it. And if mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just weird. It's just weird how this <laughs> ends up, right? It's weird, especially since that money could just be salary for you that mm-hmm. you save for health issues. No, I, I have a – Or some other – You know, I, yeah. I knew someone who was working for for a very small company, you know, who didn't have to give com- give their employees insurance. And so instead what they did is they gave them an insurance stipend that they could then use on the market to get insurance. And he was able to find, uh, you know, one of those health health sharing ministry things for a very reasonable price and – 
and then was actually able to be much better off than if the company had just given them insurance in the first place. Uh-huh. And it's just weird how things it's, end up that it's way. Strange. But it's that's, strange. But that's what we're talking about with insurance is that, is that you're creating a disconnect and you're creating weird incentives. Right. Right. And, and like the, those are all good examples of things where you're like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And when you dig into them, do they make more sense? No, but you can at least explain where they came from. And here's where a significant amount of these problems came from. During the, the, the New Deal with FDR, FDR imposed, FDR imposed, I say it like he's a king or something, <laughs> uh, with the help of Congress, obviously, he imposed Sometimes a it feels massive, that way, Dan. And with FDR, it was pretty close in some cases. There was some pushback and a lot of things, but he did go too far and got some flack and things, but had to walk back a few things, but not that much. He, it was a strange time. Um, during 1933, there was the National Industry Recovery Act. This was one of several acts that did, did different things. This was the big one. Um, in, as part of this, they set a lot of the economy in the way that, that socialism would set it or the way that uh, nationalism might, might set it, um, where you have industries where, what they're, where, where basically the government dictates to them how they run, including what they're able to pay in wages. And sometimes it was a range, sometimes it was a strict price. Well, this was a problem for companies because companies want to be able to compete for the best employees. And if they can't pay above a certain threshold because of different price and wage fixing, then how do they compete for better employees? Well, they found a way around this by offering them more benefits. And it's during this time that you see an explosion of benefits through businesses where they start to find other ways to compete for employees and a rapid expansion of insurance and what's covered in insurance. This is the market competing as it always does, regardless of what the government tries to do. (laughs) But it's in a really unproductive way or less productive way because of the government imposition on them. And, and more importantly than it being less productive, Dan, it's less clear. You know what I mean? Yes, you, it instead is. of instead of, you know, going to work for a company and saying, okay, you're gonna get paid sixty thousand dollars a year and now but medical mm-hmm. expenses are gonna be your own problem. Now you're working for a company that pays forty grand a year but covers these and these medical expenses and not these. You know, and so you have to do more research to even understand what you're getting. Right. And insurance, the complexity of insurance alone is a massive problem at the consumer level and at the bureaucratic level. Um, insurance creates as much as four people working in administrative tasks and paper pushing per doctor. Like if you look That's at, crazy. if you look at the, the impact and direct cost of just navigating insurance to healthcare systems, it's insane. It's, as I said, it's, it's, it takes four people roughly per doctor to navigate the paperwork. Well, and, and if speaking, you don't think that has a cost in healthcare <laughs> and the administrative bloat in things, that's well and, and speaking of of you know administration and, and paperwork, we we come up to the sixties the now when we get the introduction of Medicaid and Medicare. Yeah. And that adds a whole new level of of regulations involving the involving 
the health world. I mean, there, if you talk to doctors about how it works in terms of the different codes they have to use for different procedures, it quickly becomes clear how strange it is, how strange it is. And the reason it's so strange is because there are weird laws that come into every nook and cranny of this system as everyone's yeah. trying to, everyone's just trying to make it right. You know, doctors are not full of malicious intent. Almost always. I think that doctors really are just trying to help people and trying to make a living. You've got mm -hmm. hospitals who are trying to make a buck at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they're trying to stay viable, right? Whether they're mm -hmm. nonprofit or profit, it's still the same. They're trying to stay viable. They're trying to be able to, to pay for everything they need to and to pay for the people in charge. And if they're for profit, to pay for the investors. But even right. if they're nonprofit, put... they're still trying to be viable. Right. Let me just put an asterisk by nonprofit there that we may, that hopefully we'll get to later in this because nonprofit in, in terms of medical care is extremely sketchy. And actually it is in most fields. It's, it's not nearly as nonprofit or as charitable as people tend to think. Carry on. But then, you, and then you've got the insurance companies who are the same thing. They're trying to make a buck and they're trying to do it within this system. But what happens here is it becomes really convoluted really quick. So what you have is you have a whole bunch of insurance companies who are mostly dealing with employers. They're not dealing with individual customers. And so what that means is you've got multiple disconnects. You've got the customer who has an employer who then has the insurance, who then pays the hospital, who then pays the doctor. But it's the customer and the doctor who should be doing business, right? But that's not right. what's happening. And so that's why you reach a situation where a transaction occurs where both the customer and the doctor do not know what the cost is. So a small example of this is I go to the dentist because I have a brushing problem. And so I've got cavities that I have to deal with. I got bad teeth I have to deal with, and it's my own fault. Don't judge me. And, and <laughs> this isn't a hypothetical. You're and, going to be judged. And, so, and this this could have been a hypothetical. You you've now just 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 given massive amounts of information about yeah, yourself, I, upon I, which people can judge you. I, I just condemned myself, didn't I? Just want this Anyways, to be clear that this was voluntary. It's all voluntary. <laughs> That's we're we're used to it though on this podcast. I just I just confess <laughs> things spontaneously without any. <laughs> But anyways, so I go to the it's dentist true. and and he tells me these are the things we need to do. And I say, okay, how much is that going to cost? And he's like, well, I can give you this paper that shows the cost. So he gives me the paper and I say, these prices are insane. They're way too much. And he's like, well, these aren't actually the prices you may have to pay. It all depends on what your insurance says. And I say, okay, well, what are those prices? He's like, I can't tell you that. I don't know what those prices are. That's between you and your insurance. So then I have to go and talk to my insurance to even find out what the prices are. And the insurance will negotiate. And by negotiate, I mean they already have set prices with basically all dentists saying this is what we will pay for these procedures. And it's pretty arbitrary, right? And so from there, I'm able to find out what my prices are. And that's a very dumbed down version of the medical system because the dental system is not nearly as bad, right? Right, right. Here we've it's only much got, more straightforward. Here we've only got a few parties. I could actually find out after some digging, okay, here's here's a yeah. website, here's, you know, it's, it's Cigna, and so they actually have a pretty good website where I can find out what the prices are, then go back to the dentist, and then we're okay. But, right. 
But it just demonstrates how weird that is that me and the dentist can't talk about prices straightforward. You know, we can't negotiate prices. We can't do any of that because there's this insurance company in between us. And with the medical industry, it becomes much worse. The medical industry, you have these huge insurance companies that have a lot of power. And so what they do is they tell the hospitals, we're only going to pay such and such an amount, which means that the hospitals know that the insurance companies are never going to pay more than what they ask, and they're usually going to pay less. They're almost always going to pay less because insurance companies are incentivized to be te- to tell their their customers, and by their customers, I mean the employers, not the employees, that they're getting a discount <laughs> and for not the them. people who are you know, going. We're to saying the we are getting your company a discount when you go when you're customers go in when your employees go in and therefore it's advantageous for you to have us as your insurance company and so they have a strong incentive to get a discount and so the hospitals yeah, let me, let me have a strong incentive that, to raise their prices yeah that that kind of number magic where you're like we've set an arbitrary price we're actually going to pay less than that so we can claim that we're giving you a discount is throughout this system well, it's, the, it's throughout where and, the hospitals do it too. And it's, it's, and, it's and that's crazy. what I was going to get at is that the hospitals are actually encouraged to raise their prices as high as possible because then the insurance company can pay them the same amount, but claim a bigger discount. So now the insurance companies are saying, Hey, we're getting massive discounts, like 80% off the price for your company which sounds awesome to the company. So the company says, okay, we'll keep doing this. The insurance (laughs) company is staying in business. And then on top of that, the insurance company, um, on top of that, the hospitals can say, hey, we're not getting close to what we're charging, which means we're actually losing money on almost all of our procedures, which goes back to your nonprofit thing, Dan, because they can actually claim to be losing money on every procedure, even though they're making money. And then the government will often actually give them money to help cover some of that loss. Yeah. That was a piece of this that I didn't understand well until, until today, even though I've been following this kind of medical stuff for, for almost 10 years now, um, that the, how much money actually flows directly from federal and local and state governments. That was a weird order. <laughs> here, here, here. Federal, state, and local governments uh, to the hospitals to compensate them for uh, what's the word for un for uncompensated care mm-hmm. is 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 what they call it. They say we're actually not getting the money that we're charging because we're generous mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're uh, and and. Then the the states come in and the federal government comes in and pays them. And as you said, that's based on an arbitrary number that they've set higher than the money they know they're going to get paid in order so they can make that claim. And then they call that a, a that's one of their revenue streams. This is a this is a normal revenue stream for hospitals. The money they make off of uncompensated care. Just let that sink in for a moment. The money they make off of uncompensated care is one of their revenue streams. It's so oxymoronic. Right. This is – we did the 1984 episode lately. This is, this is the, Some double the kind thing. of just murder of the language where you're like, wait, what? Those words can't mean what I think they mean. 
and makes sense in that sentence. But thus it is. Thus it is, as you were saying, that these weird incentives from the insurance company and then the hospital, and then they play out together in a way where they then get money from outside parties and they then, uh, it makes them look better. And so- Gets them more customers. And so the thing is, is that if you have really good insurance, like my my wife does, right? If you have really good insurance, then this system actually works pretty darn well because the insurance company's actually not paying outrageous sums. So your employer's paying a lot of money but not a ridiculous amount, not as much as it sounds, not the sticker price. You know, they're not paying $100,000 for a hospital visit. They're paying less than that. You know, the insurance company is, and then the insurance is, is you know, billing absurdly large premiums, but, but not as much as they could be, right? And so everyone right. seems to be happy with this system, but there are a lot of real problems. Number one, you have a large number of people who can't afford insurance. And then you have a large number of people who are going on high deductible plans. High deductible plans are becoming more and more common. You know, lots of employers are doing what my company is doing, which is they have to have insurance that they offer to their employees, but insurance is getting more and more expensive. And so they're offering the crappiest insurance they can based on the laws and legal requirements. And so you have people who are more and more often like me, where I technically have insurance, but when it comes to most of my procedures, I act and feel like I don't, which discourages mm-hmm. me from going to the hospital. It discourages me from going to the doctor at all because I know that I'm going to get screwed if I do. Um, right. And right. You're paying the cost as if you have a membership with them that covers the price when you don't. Because both, as we were talking about, the two the two ways of looking at insurance and what it's evolved to, it's like you have a membership that's going to cover the expenses, but it's not in your case. You're you don't you don't benefit from this weird adaptation of insurance that has massive impacts on the price and the system. Yeah, and so and so more people are in these in these other situations, either high deductible or uninsured, and they're and they're losing out again and again. And part of the problem for especially for those who are uninsured is that the hospital has this ridiculous price that they don't inspect the ins- expect the insurance companies to pay. But when a regular individual goes to that hospital, they will simply charge them that same price, which is a fantasy number that should that should never actually be paid, and yet they expect individuals to pay it. Now, there are options that the individuals have to actually say, "Hey, I can't pay this and let's come up with a plan." But the hospital does not tell the individuals about that. The hospital does not say, hey, you don't have to pay this. No, they come for that money and they come for that money hard. And so a lot of people actually end up going bankrupt. They end up having serious financial woes because of this and because of this system. And so that in a nutshell is how our system works today is you have this weird setup between us employers, insurance companies, hospitals, and then then back to the doctor. Obviously, yeah. it's more complicated than that. But in a nutshell, if you want to know what's wrong with the system, yes. it's that. It's that disconnect. Yes. I, I had a similar story to the one you were talking about of trying to find the price of your dentist thing. Uh, I'll sum it up quickly because it was it was bizarre to me. I went uh, – I, I was – I did not have any insurance at the time. Uh in between insurance for various reasons, had like a, a month period there where I didn't have insurance of any kind for me or my wife who was pregnant at the time. We went to get a uh, 
to get an ultrasound or wanted to get an ultrasound. And I go in and I go, we don't, we don't have insurance right now. We could get this in a couple of weeks. We'd have insurance, whatever. We want to get it now. How much will it cost? I'm talking to the person at the front desk who's scheduling things. They have no idea. They go, I, I don't know. And they <laughs> looked at me like it was strange that I'd asked the question. And I, I figured they didn't know, but I thought they could look it up. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't look it up. I was like, could you, could you check? And they, go, they, they were so baffled. They didn't know who to talk to about it. And I was like, well, would the, would the nurse know? Would the doctor, if I go to that department, the particular area, I'm talking to the person at like the entry to the hospital. <laughs> if I go to that department and I talk to the person behind the desk, will they know? And uh, they said, I don't know. So I go and I talk to the person in the, in the department that does the, uh, what's the, the OBGYN area, whatever you'd call it in the hospital. And, uh, and I say, we, we don't have insurance. I want to know how much it will cost. What will it cost? They go, I, I don't know. And I said, well, what would the doctor know? And they go, no, the doctor definitely wouldn't know. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I don't know if I want this procedure depending on the cost. How much it costs, yeah. And if it costs a lot here, I was going to then check somewhere else and compare the cost. Because that's what I do when I buy literally Anything. every other thing I buy that costs more than a few dollars. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I want to get a good deal. I want to get a good product at a price that I think is that that is relatively better than the other prices. If I can get something for five dollars at one place and twenty dollars somewhere else, I want the five dollar version. And this this shook me. Like, how could they not know? And I so I looked into this and I found that as, as Brad was describing, there is somewhere in the hospital exists there is a list that exists that has arbitrary numbers that actually are almost never the numbers that are charged, <laughs> right? That are, that are incentivized to be higher than what they would like to charge anybody. Um, and so I, I finally found that, that in order to find the cost, I had to have the procedure, which is ridiculous. Imagine for a moment, any other business functioning that way, <laughs> you go to Walmart and you fill up your groceries and you go, what is this going to cost me? And they go, I don't know. Why don't you take them home and eat them and we'll send you a bill? Yeah. Yeah. No, those stickers on the, on the shelves saying this no is stickers. how much it costs. Just take whatever you'd like and we'll tell you later. Can you think of a single other industry that does that? Because if you can't, something is wrong. Something is wrong. If you don't know the cost, and the hospital doesn't know the cost. How do they know if they're doing it efficiently? How do they know they're providing you a good product for a good price? And the answer is they don't know and they don't care. Mm -hmm. and, and that should shake you. Like if you have any idea of how a business runs, any idea of how pricing and things work and what, you know, how supply and demand work to establish prices in a competitive market so that the product quality and the price matters. This should shake you. You should, this should, this isn't just a red flag. This is, this is everything you need to know about the system. And I, I was looking into it further. And one of the things that I found was that, uh, that 
comparing by comparing bills because they couldn't get the data any other way. People would, there was a, there was a group that did a study where they would find, uh, they would ask people for their bills on, on a particular procedure over, I believe it was a state or a city. I wish I had the, I wish I had the study so I could, I could cite it here specifically. But what they found is, is basically what we know already and what's expected. It's nothing, nothing earth shaking. It's that hospitals were charging wildly different prices for the same procedure in the same town. Where at one place something might be $10,000, at another place it was 50, and at another it was 100. Why? Because they had, they had no reason to be consistent. Because no. my guess is the insurance company, one insurance company, let's say Cigna, probably paid the same price at all, at all three, three of those hospitals. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it cost 10 grand, 50 grand, or 100 grand, they were just paying two grand. And a different insurance company was paying three grand. You know, they had their set price and it didn't matter what the hospital charged. It didn't matter. It might matter for your deductible, especially if you're in a high deductible plan, <laughs> right? Whether it hits that 20,000 that you've got to pay out of pocket or whatever ridiculous number, you know, it's- mm -hmm. uh, It's not quite that then high, Then it does matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, 20,000 I'm sure is probably higher than- than almost any high deductible plan. Than almost any high deductible plan. But but the point is that obviously this is this this matters for the person paying it. It doesn't matter for the insurance company because what they're paying doesn't really matter. What they're paying is is set in a different way. But it does matter in terms of what on earth is medical is the competition level between hospitals. It appears to be almost non-existent. That that reminds me of, of one more thing, Dan, because a lot of people might say, oh, well, you know, there are incentives for for the insurance companies to, to get services for, for cheaper, which is part of why they negotiate their prices. Mm -hmm. But part of the mm -hmm. problem is, is that insurance companies are legally required and legally set to make a certain amount of money. So insurance companies make 10% more than whatever the premiums are. And that's set by law. So if you're so if your premiums plus your employer premiums are this amount, then they're going to get this amount and they can take 10% of that as their profit, right? And then everything right. else has to go has to go on, which is really weird, right? It's really weird how it's set up. But <laughs> and it's more complicated than that, but that's that's the, the basic gist of how it works. And so these insurance companies, especially these large insurance companies, because there's only a handful of real insurance companies out there, right? And they basically have a monopoly. There's not a real way for a new insurance company to be created because of the legal requirements. They are living in a monopolistic system where they get a certain amount of profit regardless of what it costs. In fact, if prices go up, they make more and they basically just sit there. There's no reason to change anything. For these insurance companies, just like with the hospitals, there's very little incentive to change because the system is set up so rigidly. Right. I, I almost took it for granted. I guess we should state it at this point that if you didn't know, healthcare rates skyrocket. They're like tuition to school. Healthcare rates. Yeah, they're going up are, and up and up every year. Are at a, at a rate that far outpaces inflation. It, it's not even close. It's if you look at things like uh, you can see a comparative increase of cost by percent. Yeah, of, in, of including items. the costs that the insurance companies are paying. Those the real costs, you know what I mean, are going up too. Which means the yes. insurance companies are charging employers more. I mean, the cost for insurance itself yes. is going up year over year. 
Like I see that at, at my work where insurance costs go up and up and up and yet the benefits yes. we get stay the same or actually go down. Yes. And, and part of this is we, we didn't mention the, the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare Act, um, which is worth a mention, but it's not that important because the problems are so much more fundamental. The Obamacare Act did change things. Yeah, and I think it changed things in general for the worse, but it's not, but that doesn't even matter given how fundamental the yeah, problems are. Yeah, it was are in just one more step in this lengthy process. Yeah. To blame it yeah. all on Obamacare would be vastly missing the main problem. Right, right. Obamacare did not break the system. Certainly didn't fix it, but it didn't break it either. It was, uh, it, the problems are all, were already all there. And this was a, uh, as you said, just a, a step that actually makes sense in the progression of band-aids, <laughs> depending on your political ideology. Um, which brings us to where uh, all this, all of this in my head was preliminary information to what we're going to share now. <laughs> you can tell that this has been on our minds for, for literally since we started this podcast. This is one of the things where I was like, I'm really excited to talk about healthcare. And well, it's finally here. And I've been thinking about this for years before that. There are people who are doing things that are bypassing the mess. And oh my goodness, does it work? And oh my goodness, is it beautiful? <laughs> and they have, they have massive hurdles that they've had to overcome and some still in front of them. But there is innovation happening in the medical field. Um, they, I just, I just thought of like half a dozen more things I wanted to talk about in the preliminary stuff another day. <laughs> <laughs> things like why, why physicians are seeing patients for less time, right? That was a big thing that was 15 minutes because, because the, the pressure of the Medicare and Medicaid ended up putting the prices on the time and, and it became more profitable for them to hire nurses, which led to a nursing boom and all these, all these other shifts. But, but none of them are the instrumental problem. The instrumental problem is what we've already, already stated. And this is how this group bypassed it. So this, I'm, I want to talk about the Oklahoma Surgery Center. And, uh, and then we'll, hopefully we'll get to Big Tree as well. Oh, we will. Um, right. This episode may be long. Uh, the Oklahoma Surgery Center is, is a, was put together by a bunch of physicians and surgeons who looked at the mess and said, this is a mess. How do we bypass it? This was their premise. They knew of people who used to practice healthcare years ago before all this, before a lot of this was implemented. And at least outside of a lot of this, this, the insurance and the, the hospitals taking over healthcare expanded over, over time, uh, to where it is today. And they remember one guy talks about his father in particular was a doctor and he practiced in a small town and he was basically the doctor there and had a, all these patients who would come in, many of them who couldn't afford it, and he would work out deals with them or not charge them at all. And it was just the doctor and their patients, and how can I help you? And and what would be, and how should you, the payment be handled? You know, what should I charge you given your circumstances and, and et cetera? And that was the kind of medical care they wanted to offer without the bureaucracy Without yeah. the and the instead mess. they were stuck in this system where there was this disconnect and they were fed up with it. You know, they they yeah. were fed up with how broken it was. Yeah, the administrative costs, the bureaucracy, navigating the insurance codes, navigating uh, just all of it was, and they thought it could be simpler. And so 
they uh, they had two basic rules that they were going to follow. They were not going to take Medicaid and Medicare, and they were not going to take insurance. They're not going to negotiate with insurance. So that puts them outside of Everything. most of the healthcare system, yeah. right? Right. This sounds like a plan designed to fail in a lot of ways, given what you, given the way medical care works. Uh, and their goal was to offer a good product at a good price. And so people, they, they open up this surgery center and people would call them and they'd go, what do you, what do you charge for this? Or how much would it cost me to do this? And they would talk to each of the people involved. There's going to have to be blood work. There's going to have to be a sur- There's going to be a surgeon and their staff involved. There's going to be this involved. And they contact each of the groups and they say, what are you going to charge for it? They put the prices together and they then offer this person who must have, they, they would joke about it when they describe it, how long this person was probably waiting on hold to get, <laughs> to get this information. I'm sure they called them back later or something. So no, we'll no, together he, a quote. He, he tells the story of the very first quote they <laughs> the ever very give first one, he and he just puts the person on hold. on hold for just five <laughs> minutes and he quickly calls the three or four parties involved for that surgery, says how much you want to charge, mm-hmm. done. Next person, how much you want to charge, done. Like it took five minutes from yeah. start to finish <laughs> with a company that didn't really even exist yet to come up with a quote because everyone said, okay, this is what I need in order to do what I want and have it be worthwhile right. for me. Right. These people had an idea of their costs. They had an idea of how much money they would need in a, you know, and how much profit yeah, how they would much, need for How this much to their be time worth was worth them. for them, basically. Yeah. How yeah. much their time to, and effort was worth. And if the person said no, of course, they could adjust it later. They could be like, oh, maybe it's not this, this surgery isn't worth that much to people and respond accordingly like a market does this all of this sounds so boring if you know how a market works except in contrast mm-hmm. and so they and they started to get patients they started to get a lot of patients eventually they started polling tons of patients from the other places because what they found was their price was often so much less even than what people with insurance would pay for their deductible. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. And so people who had insurance would go to this place where they were going to pay the whole cost out of pocket because the, it was cheaper. And they're paying the cost of insurance, right? They're paying, this is, there's money they're losing to this insurance in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hospitals didn't like this. The insurance companies didn't like this. This disrupts their business model. So what did they do? Now, if you're hoping that what they did is they started copying what the surgery center did. <laughs> we just pause for a minute to enjoy a dream world. This where, must be your first episode, huh? Where, <laughs> yes. Yes. If you're finding us for the first time and that is what you would do. That's also what we would do, but that's not what anybody else Congratulations does. Congratulations for system. being a good person. <laughs> yes. Congratulations for having a soul. What they did, <laughs> what, what they did is they go to their buddies in the state legislature because they have a long relationship because to navigate most industries today, if you were a big business, you have to have connections. You have to have lobbyists. You have to. Or so the so the story goes. Yeah, right? there's You've a got strong relationship a between the medical industry and the political one. Yes, yes. In case you didn't notice with the aforementioned Obamacare, um, 
and and the, the fact that insurance came from legal interference, different things. Uh-huh. So much of it is driven by law. And so, and part of it, part of it isn't, I, I'm not attacking these people for having connections to politics. If not, you need connections to politics. If you're a big industry, even is. just to defend yourself, even if you're not trying to do something bad, just to stop other people from, from ruining your business legally. Yeah. If you're in any business that the government is in any way involved with, whether that's regulating it or in the case of the medical industry, trying to control it, if you don't have some kind of protection against that, you're going to get screwed. It's kind of like how all businesses require a team of lawyers because yes. if they don't, they'll end up they'll end up losing the money. Because many individuals who don't end up getting screwed time and time again. You know, you look at the number of people who get arrested and have a public defender and end up going to jail because they did. It's the same basic principle. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And in obviously bigger bigger companies can navigate legal and and yeah because they can afford to things better right right uh because they, they can, uh, if you're one doctor in a practice this is very difficult to pay for a lawyer if you're 10 doctors and you need one lawyer that changes things and hospitals obviously are going to be the king of this because they're often owned by a conglomerate that that owns they can many. have a whole legal right. office working for them and yet they can defray that cost over several yeah. hospitals yeah this is why regulation and by adding complexity in any form and this is this is true in regulation this is true in tax code this is true in any any way any law adds complexity and any complexity added favors the big players that's a that's a rule of economics and and law and how politics affects business uh so this is going really well right the but they this this is what's interesting oklahoma is a generally republican state i believe maybe i've taken that for granted is that true that's true (laughs) you're nodding okay uh so you would think that Republicans are the free market people, right? You've got this business that's like, we're, we're new business. We're fighting. We're, we're the mom and pop shop surgery center. If there is such a thing, <laughs> this is a nice facility. This is not a, not a small group. Um, at least no, I mean, it was, it was, it was a small smaller. group, but it, it was, was small it was initially. very well done. I mean, it was all, it was professional, but it was small. It was, yeah. Those relatively, two things is, can coexist. They can. Uh, so. They had people that they knew who luckily reached out to them. Those people were Democratic legislators, one in particular who they talk about, who uh, basically single-handedly protected them from this onslaught of of legislation designed to run them out of business specifically. Yes. The legislation initially, what it did is it tried to penalize people who weren't seeing X amount of Medicare and Medicaid, weren't getting X amount of Medicaid and Medicare cases and money. Um, and so, and it was specifically designed to target them because they were one of the few, if, if not the only surgery center doing this. And uh, it would have put them out of business. It would have made their, it, likely, it would have, it would have been crushing. And that was the objective. Um, the Democratic legislator, I, I really would love to learn more of the story. One day, maybe we could meet this person and figure out their motivation. Uh, the Republicans were supporting the status quo, which is the system as it was with the, the insurance and the things. And, and this seemed reasonable to them to try and make Medicaid and Medicare work, which has so many problems and so many reasons people don't want to accept it, that they have to require it in another story, uh, another layer to this. But the way that this was working, so uh, they were, I lost my train of thought. Uh, 
So this, this legal attack was deflected and more followed. As these other legal attacks uh, came, they were, they, this legislative friend got them on a commission to avoid them and different things. But eventually one of them stuck. Uh, what they did is they changed the way insurance deductibles work. Again, this was, this was a legal attack. This was through politics. Um, so that deductibles were being double charged in some way that I'm, I'm not clear on the details of. I've heard them discuss it several times. I don't understand it well enough to pick it apart. But suffice to say that for insurance related purposes, the customers stopped coming and they stopped coming abruptly. Up to this moment, they, they, this group started in 1997. 1997. Yeah. And they had been expanding and they'd been extremely successful. And they were pulling more and more customers in. And abruptly, they are not getting any customers. Very few customers. Which presents, obviously, a, a serious problem. <laughs> that's, that's not an acceptable change. And the law wasn't going anywhere. So they tried to expand their market. In 2009, they put their prices online. They knew they were offering a better product. They knew they were doing it at a way better price than anybody else. Often... You know, exponentially better, often, often at a crazy price compared to what hospitals were charging, even with the, even what, what insurance was actually mm -hmm. paying. Um, and they started to get <laughs> one of the initial things that was funny is they start to get a bunch of customers from Canada, people on waiting lists for important surgeries that cannot get them and are willing to pay for them out of pocket, even though they could just wait and get it paid for free by the Canadian healthcare free, system. Yeah. Yeah, so and this happens from time to time. This is actually not that uncommon where people will come to America from countries that have socialized medical care completely uh, and they will come here because they can get the procedure done quickly. But they would particularly come here because not only can they do that, they can do it at a ridiculously low price compared to other places. One in particular, hysterectomies that were needed uh, by women with complications where they were they were bleeding internally. And they would be put on two-year waiting lists. They were bleeding so profusely that they would need blood transfusions, infusions, on a regular basis. Just to stay, to stay alive, alive while they waited for their procedure. While they waited for the procedure. For such a Canada. minor procedure, too. It's right. Not, it's, it's yeah, not relatively, it's minor. Right. Right. And so they, they started to get a lot of those particular surgeries. And others that where people were, were not inclined to wait from, from other countries. And... By putting their prices online, at this point, they, they didn't have to make the phone call and go, what would you charge for this? They had a pretty good idea. <laughs> now you can actually, to this well, not day, a you pretty can get good on their idea, website. An exact idea. You go onto their exact. website right now, yes. Oklahoma Surgery Center, and you want to find out how much it costs for whatever it is, they will tell you the all-inclusive price right now. And that's yes. the price you will pay when you go there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's really straightforward. Right, right. I, I would imagine, I don't know, that there might be that there might be some questions in case they're to identify complications that would affect their quote. But Brad is absolutely right that, that in the same way you could get the price for groceries, you can get the price for surgeries at their surgery center, which is an anomaly given that you can't, can't even find the cost of, a, of, of procedures at hospitals. Uh, Ever since they put their prices online, their customer base has been back. Not back, but they found a new customer base, basically. Uh, and a, a variety of other things have come up. So Brad was talking about how his business plays an abs absurd amount of money 
for his insurance, which is a really high in deductible. Their businesses, and uh, this is another one that I want to look into and find more of the details, but their businesses, something like they, they mentioned 300 very large businesses that have decided rather than paying insurance, what they're going to do is they're going to pay directly for the health care of their employees, not pay for the insurance and yeah, then it's, it's pay for it. self-funded insurance. It's actually really common. Technically, my company is self-funded insurance. They use an insurance company to handle the claims, but they're actually paying for all the medical procedures. It's become okay. it's become really common. People will have high deductible self-funded insurance, these companies, because insurance is getting so incredibly expensive. And so that's what these businesses are doing. They're basically self-funded insurance, and then they use the Oklahoma Surgery Center to pay for those larger procedures because it makes a huge difference. You know, my company had had expenses. I think the most expensive one was $2 million dollars for one individual who got cancer, which obviously can totally wreck, you know, self-funded <laughs> insurance, even for, you know, a relatively large yeah. company, you know what I mean? Having just a few claims like that can be a huge amount of money. And so having the Oklahoma Surgery Center where you could go in and get, you know, a $100,000 procedure done for $15,000, that makes $2,000 on flights and hotel stays in Oklahoma nothing you know what i mean absolutely yes, nothing yes yeah so that's exactly so they they had a number of businesses that we would pay entirely to fly an employee to oklahoma to stay to pay for the whole procedure and fly them back because that was cheaper than the alternatives because that actually saved them massive amounts of money and it, this is extremely disruptive obviously of of the way hospitals and insurance function normally and one of this is one of, uh, I would say there's, there's, there's a variety of innovations happening where people are basically bringing the forces of the market to bear in healthcare by, in bypassing a lot of the other things. This is my favorite one and the one that I've been, I've been familiar with this for almost 10 years. I've been following this, the Oklahoma Surgery Center, uh, because it's so disruptive and it's been so successful in spite of constant legal attacks and in spite of insurance companies going out of their way to make it difficult for their people to go to it. And it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And the basic premise they have is the premise of an ordinary business. We're going to sell a better product than our competitors at a better price. Yeah. This, this is not a nonprofit surgery center. The surgery center has made the money profits consistently. And that's part, yes. you know, I mean, they're not, they're not a, yeah. it's not a charity surgery center. It's a business just like any other business. It's just a business exactly like any other business. We're going to charge X amount. We're going to tell you what we charge and we're going to make a profit. Bing, bang, boom. Yes. And they do, they do do, uh, they do do. You know, there are times. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. They're great here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I give you Brad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I want Continue. you to know if you're in the audience and you chuckle at this, I hate you so much. <laughs> um, uh, sometimes your train of thought is derailed, and at other times it's sabotaged at the station, just blown up. My bad. Uh, um, I, uh, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, um, nope, it's gone. 
Well, well, let me talk about about not coming my back. thing, Dan. Maybe it'll come back later. I'll fix the train while you talk. Because the Oklahoma Surgery Center is is truly awesome and is truly making big strides. But there's also some some it doesn't fix everything. First of all, it's only one surgery center, but it only handles one one area and one issue. The other area and the other issue is that today, as part of that disconnect, our access to healthcare is really weird. You know, you can have a primary care physician which usually means you just go up, go in for a checkup once a year. And if you have any problems, you can call them and they can try and schedule you, but usually it'll take weeks out. And so your best option is just to go to the urgent care or the ER if it's truly serious, right? Which means that we only really use our primary care physician for that once a year checkup, which means that they're not really our primary care physician at that point. And that's something that we have lost today in America is what Dan was talking about earlier, where you have your town doctor who is there to take care of you. And that doesn't really exist anymore, which drives more and more people to urgent cares and then more and more people to hospitals, to, to the ER, because in the end, that really becomes their only option. Yeah. Navigating insurance for my children has been bizarre because it it prioritizes on paper who is their primary care physician and what do they think of all this? And they never see them. They see them for like 15 minutes every six months or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's in, it, it's a, you can tell that it still has some of the old ideas, but functionally it, it doesn't have any of it. And, and I heard it explained really well uh, recently. Part of, uh, first of all, we're getting a lot of this information from the Mises Institute. They recently had a, uh, a convention about healthcare and freedom in healthcare. And so we've gained a lot of information from that. Some of this stuff we already knew, you know, universe, the, the Oklahoma surgery center, we already knew about before they talked about it. But what I'm talking about, which is big tree specifically, we learned about from, from this conference at the, from this convention. So so they definitely deserve a lot of credit. They're a fantastic organization. I think we've mentioned them before, but anyways, they're talking about how, a large part of the problem with the primary care physician is that their incentives are set up so that it doesn't make sense for them to be your primary care physician anymore. You know, how it's set up is they they see a ton of patients because they don't make very much on these visits, right? So they see a ton of patients, and if any patient has any issues, they just send them to the specialist. You know, if you have any major issues, go to the specialist, or if it's urgent, go to the ER. Really, they don't do any medical procedures there with the primary care physician. They don't really take care of much of anything because it doesn't make sense for them to do it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so for example, we we go and we see our 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 primary care physician for for my son who's, you know, a year and a half because he has allergies. And so we want to find out more about those allergies. And so I say, okay, you know, ask him ask us some basic questions. You know, we're talking to him for just a few minutes. And he's like, okay, so it seems like it's this kind of allergy, but but I can't know for sure, you know, if you want, I can refer you to a specialist and and they'll help you with more of this. And in the meantime, I can prescribe you an EpiPen. And that was it. You know what I mean? That was it from the visit. If we really want to know anything about this allergy, we have to go see a specialist. Which and is you just- can't skip this step. If you often, often you can't go to the specialist first, they will say, have yeah, you seen, your, like, primary have you seen your primary care physician? The primary care physician refers you, then you go see the specialist, which right. just doesn't make any, it just, it's weird, right? Right. So so there's a real problem with with primary care. And and part of the real problem is is that the point of primary care is that you're actually supposed to get care. 
And if you're not getting care, it's just <laughs> adding a step to this process. So, so there's, there's, there's this movement called direct primary care. And there are, there are a large number of institutions that do it. And one of them, Big Tree, which is especially pushing for, for doing it virtually is, is growing and, and there are a lot of advantages. And, and so what is direct primary care? So direct primary care is basically what primary care should be. And it's a realigning of incentives. So specifically with Big Tree, Big Tree's whole thing is that you're going to pay a monthly fee to Big Tree directly. And in exchange for that, you're primarily going to get one thing. And that is a medical team that is on your side. A medical team that is not getting paid by your, your insurance company. Yep. They're, they're not taking your insurance. They're, you're, just, you're just paying them directly. And so they are going to have their incentives aligned with you because their goal is to keep you as a customer, is to keep you paying that monthly subscription. And in order to do that, in order to have any reason for you to keep paying that monthly subscription, they have to be offering you value. And so what Big Tree has done is they've created a system where they have physicians where you can meet with them online to figure out what your needs are, what your situation is, and then they can find ways and work creatively to make that situation better for you. So the example that that Big Tree gives is there's a woman who has lots of medical expenses. She has recurring medical expenses. You know, she's got diabetes, and so she needs medication on a regular basis for that. She's got a couple of other conditions that all require frequent medication. And she has insurance. She's insured, but she's not wealthy at all. She's making $11 an hour, but she's working for a school, which is why she has good insurance, right? But even with that good insurance, she's paying over $300 a month on her co-pays for all of these different um, – for the prescriptions, for the drugs. And she's regularly meeting with a specialist because she's taking all of these drugs and because she has these health issues. And so they, her insurance company requires that she meets with a specialist on a regular basis and she has a copay for that, right? So the insurance is covering the vast majority of these costs, at least on paper, but she still has a large amount to pay. Like she's getting a ton of medical care here on paper. Like, wow, that's amazing. The, the value this insurance company is getting for her. Yeah. Right? But... But yet she's still paying over right. 300 bucks a month, which is a lot of money. Right. Well, let me pause you for a quick second because this is where people would say, this is why you need insurance. Yeah. Right. Th this woman is a poster child for insurance and even for socialized healthcare. Right. This is why you need this because she can't pay for this herself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this, the insurance has to step in. No, and imagine I've, what this would cost without insurance and, and so on. And I've got people I know, like I, I have, you know, a coworker who's diabetic and his wife has serious health issues, and they talk about that all the time about all the benefits they get from their insurance in order to get all of these expensive drugs, right? For right. such a reduced cost. You know, his wife has has a pill that she takes that's a thousand dollars a pill. You know what I mean? It's something that that would bankrupt them if they had to pay that full price. And that's that sticker shock we were talking about before. But anyway, so you've got this this lady who's in this situation and and she finds out about Big Tree. And she goes to Big Tree and Big Tree says, "Okay, we're going to charge you, you know, it's going to be a virtual account, so we're going to charge you, I think it's 44 bucks a month." 
and that's not going to be covered by insurance. She's just paying 44 bucks a month. And then what they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, you're going to stop going to the specialist and we're going to take care of those appointments in-house. Now, your, your condition is stable, your condition is this, so we're going to be meeting with you four times a year. There's no reason for you to meet with us every month. That makes no sense. It never made any sense, but it was just <laughs> how the insurance jump company chose chose to do it. You know, if you have any right, issues. Right, and might have even been li- legally stipulated yeah, for exactly. the insurance Who company. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because they could be liable or different things. Yeah. You know, so we're going to meet with you four times a year to check up, make sure everything's good. And and those visits are going to be online. They're going to be virtual. And and then what we're going to do is we're going to come up with a plan for, for everything else to figure out how we can lower your costs. And the first thing they do <coughs> is they talk to her about her her diabetes medication. They're like, okay, you're on this medication that costs you $300 a month with your insurance every month for this, for this medication. And, and they're like, we have a graph that shows all the different medications and why you should take the different ones. Do you know why you would take this, this medication, which costs $300 a month versus the other medications that would cost $25 a month. And she's like, no, I don't know. Why would I pay more? And he says, okay, well, if you have a history of heart conditions, this medication decreases the chance that you'll have a heart attack from this medication by about 1%. She's like, well, I have no history of heart attacks. She's like, okay, well, in that case, it'll probably decrease your risk by about 0.25%. And it's going to cost you an extra several hundred dollars a month. You know, it's like, okay, well, that makes no sense. Okay, fantastic. Let's switch you over to this diabetes medication that's going to cost you $25 a month. And and then, you know, boom, right there, you're saving a large amount of money. And that's $25 a month, you know, without insurance. And then the other thing that that Big Tree does is, and he talks about this, he talks about the fact that as he starts this company, he wants to find out how much drugs cost. And so he reaches out to this company and says, okay, how much do these drugs cost? And they send over a paper. And he's like, these prices are super, super low. They're like, oh, sorry, we sent you the wrong paper. And he says, okay, well, what paper did you send me? (laughs) They say, oh, this paper is what it would cost you if you choose to pay for the patient. And he says, okay, well, how much do I have to charge the patient? Is there like a legal requirement? I say, oh, you can charge them whatever you want. He says, fantastic. Sign me up for that deal. And then he just charged the, his customers exactly whatever that, that exact price is. And so this price sheet, we're talking a matter of dollars for many of the yeah. drugs out there that are yeah. usually marked up about a thousand percent. Yeah, we're talking. We're talking that this this made the prices so low that in many cases, Big Tree decided that they would just cover the costs as part of the membership because it literally cost them a couple dollars to pay for all of the medications that had been previously costing hundreds, hundreds or even yeah. thousands of dollars. Yeah. So right now, Big Tree, if you sign up as an individual for Big Tree, you will get your drugs at cost, right? So whatever it costs Big Tree, they'll pass that on to you, which is usually just a couple of dollars. And if you're a corporate account, so if an employer signs up with Big Tree, they're going to give that employer all of those drugs, the generic drugs, for free, simply as a as a marketing tech technique. Because they're like it, it costs us it so costs little. Nothing. Yeah. It costs yeah. us so little that we're going to pass those savings on to you in order to score that big account. Right. And, and if I were looking at that and I was like, wait, you're going to pay for all the generic medications 
automatic. You're going to pay for a sig- – I mean, this is Which a is massive a lo- expense yeah. to a lot of people. To a, Yeah, I mean, I – Wow, what a perk. But it costs the company almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Like it costs mm-hmm. Victory themselves almost nothing. But this is what it looks like when the market incentives align and you actually have the market working for you instead of these weird games designed by legal requirements and third parties working counterproductive to your yeah, and working so, against you. And so now that Big Tree has evolved, they've actually become a licensed pharmacy. So Big Tree is a licensed pharmacy, and so they're getting these drugs at cost. And then for all of their members, they're passing those drugs onto them at cost as a perk of the membership. And that's where we're talking about incentives aligning because Big Tree, Big Tree's goal is to make money and their goal is to make money off of you, the consumer. But the way they do that is by keeping your membership. And that means giving yeah. you value in your membership. And for me personally, yeah. if I were on diabetes medication, I was paying several hundred dollars a month. I would look at that. I would look at Big Tree and say, done. At 44 bucks a month for a virtual account, you're going to get my diabetes medications for a fraction of the cost I was paying before. You don't need to offer me anything else, right? You don't need to offer me anything right. else. You've already done. saved in massive amounts of money. Yeah. And and there are and there are more ways that they do that. The drugs are just the most visually appealing ones. You know, the other thing is coming up with plans to avoid the more expensive costs. You know, Big Tree has there's done research on direct primary care and found that people who have direct primary care are less likely to go to the ER, they're less likely to go to the hospital, and that's for a number of reasons. The number of reasons is they're they're catching the problems earlier and they're actually dealing with them appropriately. Like I was talking about before, if you're uninsured, if you're a high deductible like me, you think of the medical world as a black hole that if you dip your toe into, you will get sucked into and end up bankrupt. That's honestly how I think of it, right? I think of hospitals as anathema. Like I can never go to the hospital unless I'm planning on losing whatever my max out of pocket is, which for me is six grand in a year, right? You know, cause I know I'll hit right. my deductible and I'll know I'll go all the way up to my max out of pocket. So if I step foot in a hospital, in my mind, I'm thinking this is going to cost me $6,000. So I don't. So I don't, I avoid the hospital and I don't have any reasonable help from primary care. And so I just avoid medicine. And that's a, (laughs) that's a fantastically terrible thing to do. It's a reason why people have, don't go to the doctor, don't go to the doctor and then go to the doctor for emergency procedure that could have been prevented instead of having direct primary care, where if you have a health issue, you talk to your direct primary care and say, hey, here's my issue, and they work with you to find a solution. They say, hey, you're paying us this monthly fee, so let's find an affordable solution to help you. And that keeps costs down. And that's the other thing is instead of going to the emergency department, they talk to their direct primary care first. And that way they can find cheaper solutions when those cheaper solutions are available. And so what's crazy about this is that is that there is some technology involved. Obviously, having the virtual element allows you to have something unique in the sense that Big Tree is located in Missouri and yet can treat people across the nation, which is a technological improvement. But on but besides that, really the only difference between between I mean this is there this is no different than what we had a hundred years ago in terms of that physician who worked in your town and who was just looking out for your interests because 
they were your doctor. Direct primary care is in many ways a return to that system, and it allows for the doctor and the patient to, first of all, be on the same page and to be on the same side and to have those incentives align. And it's really, really cool. It really is cool. If, If there's an innovation here, it's not, like you said, it's not primarily technological. The primary innovation here is to say, look, we need a different way of getting money that puts us on the side of the patient. Let's do some kind of membership, which is what insurance looks like at some level anyway. Let's be the thing that it's that it's kind of evolved to include, but badly. Mm-hmm. And so that you're paying me and I'm working for you. And it's that, like that alignment is is very simple. You don't need an insurance company in between that connection for foreseen costs and for ordinary, regular, predictable care. You don't need something to offset massive risk of unknowns for things that are known and quantifiable. What you need is you just need somebody working with you to handle those problems. This is, and I love, I love what you're saying. Like, this is not the solution. P- people so often look at healthcare and this is what they conclude. They conclude healthcare, and there, are, there are interesting political essays on this that we thought would be less effective to go into than what we have that talk about healthcare needs to be a public good because it's fundamentally different than the other goods and must be handled differently on the market than mm-hmm. other goods. And that's why that's the justification for treating it differently and treating mm-hmm. it as a unique thing that with, with different rules created by government and created by other parties. But if you want to have the best healthcare at the best price, don't treat it differently. Treat it exactly the same. And this innovation is, like you said, it's not, this isn't something new in a lot of ways. It is new in how the pieces come together in a little bit, in the membership and things. It's old. It's yeah. simply what it would look like if the market were doing it. Mm-hmm. And people all the time say the free market cannot handle healthcare. Government cannot handle healthcare. I would never leave anything at the level of importance of healthcare into the hands of of a random legal system that's going to create the compli- the complexity that we talked about to begin with, where you've got the the pipes of the plumber and the more pipes and where the code and the band-aids and the codes and the code and people taking advantage of it and the incentives are getting all crazy and like yeah, and, why and, would you want that? And what's important to note here is that this is not a free market system, what we have right now. What we have no. is a convoluted legal mess where there is a large degree of government involvement. Yes, there is still a lot of freedom. This is not Canada. We don't have socialized medicine, but a huge degree of funding for medicine is from government. You know, we, we've talked about that earlier between Medicare and Medicaid. There's a huge degree of funding involved. There's a huge degree of regulation involved and laws involved. You know, the fact that an employer has to, re- has to have insurance has a large effect on how businesses act. You know, only smaller businesses are able to do things like have a stipend instead of just offering the insurance because of the laws that require them to do so. So what we're talking about here is not, hey, just let the the healthcare system continue as it is because it's a free market. No, it's not a free market. What we're talking about here is that the fact that places like Big Tree and 
the Oklahoma Surgery Center exists demonstrate how powerful the free market can be in the medical industry and how powerful it has been even with the restrictions that currently exist. And by making some commonplace, some common sense, excuse me, modifications to those restrictions in order to encourage businesses like these two to exist, you can have some truly effective change. Like, let me give you an example of what that would look like. Already, employers are expected to have insurance. That's not going to go away, right? So you can have right. an employer who says, hey, we're going to be self-insured, which means we're going we're going to offer not technically insurance, but something a lot like it to our employees because that's what they expect. And what that's going to consist of is a membership with a company like Big Tree, where we have direct primary care in order to come up with plans and solutions for all of our employees that will help them with most with 90% of their of their situations, whether that's drugs to maintain things, whether that's checkups, all of this is going to be covered by that. And then we're going to find businesses like the Oklahoma Surgery Center that actually offer legitimate and straightforward pricing for their procedures, and we're going to have relationships with them for when you require more than what those direct primary care providers are going to give us. And between those two, we're going to offer basically complete medical coverage for our employees at a fraction of the cost of what we're already paying for our high deductible plan. It's crazy. It's it is crazy. It, when you see when when some when the cost can be reduced, what that means is resources are being used more effectively. Uh, it makes the economy better across the board. If healthcare could begin to use a fraction of the resources, which is what the cut with the dollar assignment would be, you know, it's more effective. It's just more effective to do primary care like that way. It's more effective to do surgery centers and have the pricing system this way. It's more effective at, at every level. And that frees up a massive amount of labor and resources to be used for other purposes that would then further improve the world. Like this, this reduction in cost is not merely that your healthcare is going to get better. It's that the economy in, as a whole in a massive way moves forward. And, and we become wealthier as a people. The average, and I'm talking not just, not just the, the wealthy people. I'm talking the poor people because the ultimately what drives poverty, what, excuse me, ultimately what Makes poor Peter people better off is reduction in costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing those poor else people who do. are who are you know instead of being house broke, they're drug broke, where they're sinking so much of their income yeah. into medical expenses. That's the regular occurrence here in the United States. You know the story of of Tracy, the lady who who was spending so much money on her, on her drug medications, even though she was insured, that's not a unique story. I mean, there's a whole slew of people who are in that same boat or a worse boat where they don't have insurance and, and it just continues and continues, but there are real solutions that aren't just attainable, but are here. We just need to open yeah. the door a little. Yeah. Yeah. There's two ways. I was, there's two ways to address poverty. Really. There's, there's from the top down where you start to try and, and redistribute goods. Or there's you let the market work and you let it create more efficient solutions that allow more things to get to more people. People in the United States, poor people in the United States have cell phones and TVs and often other amenities and things in ways that no, that people in other countries that are poor or even middle class don't. And that makes their lives better. And the way, the way you improve the lives of the, of the poor 
is ought to be primarily through these market means. And this also frees up resources for charity and things. Um, the, so much of the, the appearance of charity in these hospitals and things is actually compensated through taxes and government ends and, and other circular things. It's not, they're not actually losing the money they're saying they're losing and so on. It's, it, it's a mess. Crap, but if you simplify power. it and let the market handle it, you will get far fewer people in poverty because of medical things. You'll get far better care for people who are in poverty and who are forced into these high deductible plans that, uh, that are providing very poor care. And often, as, as Brad was saying, it's a disincentive in a lot of ways to actually get medical care. Interesting. I, we just had the strangest problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. We just lost power at my house the whole <laughs> the whole thing's out. I just turned on the hotspot on my phone. Can you see my video, Dan? <laughs> I can see your video. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. well your I'm... internet has been fading in and out throughout. So maybe this is a good time to pause. <laughs> so no, no. So we're, so we're good. Let's keep going. I mean, I'm a little bit in darkness, but don't worry about it. <laughs> well, the, um, the episode must go on, Dan. The episode must go on. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Let me think if there's anything else I want to say before we close. Uh, we've covered a ton of stuff. And I think it's been extremely valuable. And I think, and I hope that people listen to it. Um, in especially, I've already said it several times. If I could drive one point home, what this illustrates is that the market has not failed. The market's been replaced by bureaucracy and by convoluted, uh, incentives that are built on, on legal interference that probably had the best intentions initially, but created complexity. This is what we talk about when we say that, that, that government interference creates distortions in the market. This is what it looks like this in is an area where it's been interfered. <laughs> right. This is what it looks like over the course of 70, 80, 90 years at least. Uh, and, and, and what the system begins to look like at the end of it. You know, in the analogy of, of the plumbers adding things on or the people who code adding more code band-aid fixes, inviting the government into the system is like having it one step at various steps instead of having a plumber looking at the pipes having a bureaucrat look at the pipes and make calls about it. it, it it's so much worse even than the Band-Aid fixes of the people that are in, involved in it. And the, the effects cannot be predicted in how it will distort the market in the future. There are so many unknowns and it's so complicated. But you can see it after and we can see, you can see it very clearly now. And nothing frustrates me more than listening to Republicans defend the healthcare system as it is, as an example of the effectiveness of the free market in comparison to other socialist countries. Yeah, because it's so it wrong. Is, it's so wrong. It is so wrong. There is very little market left. <laughs> There's some, but, but very little, and it's all heavily regulated and curtailed. And and often it aligns in the worst ways. They've created these artificial games where it, where it aligns to screw over the consumer instead of aligning to benefit the consumer. Yeah, and and that these companies have shown that if you open the door just a crack, there's so many ways that we can improve the system quite easily and make things better just across the board. And that's exactly what the free market can do for the healthcare industry. Right. Reject the philosophy that says healthcare is different. It's not. If you want it to be effective, if you want good products for good price, do not treat it differently. Treat it the same. There are doctors, doctors have been taught in many ways directly by the, by the medical schools now to separate the business from the medical practice. The business is below them. Their job is to help people. 
and they should focus on that and let other people focus on the yeah, business aspects. And, and the argument is made that healthcare is too important, right? It's too important to yeah, leave it's to too the important market. to leave to the market. And that's a truly flawed argument because healthcare is important, but I would disagree. I would say the most important thing is that we have something to eat? Is that we're because if you starve to death, that becomes much more important than <laughs> than healthcare. If you have no clean drinking water, that becomes much much more important. If you're homeless living on the street, that becomes much more important. In fact, the number of health issues you have when you're homeless living on the street go way up. the The thing is, is that the free market provides those things consistently, and so we don't think that another solution well sometimes people do but for the most part we trust the market to provide those things because it has reliably the reason people don't trust the market here is because they're under the assumption that what we're seeing is the market and that is not yeah. true right right that, that, that we need to fix the market because this is the market that what the market actually looks like is big tree and the oklahoma surgery center and when you see that you don't see a problem you see something beautiful, and that's what we hope to see more of. Right. Right. And doctors may need to at least reconsider the possibility that you should be doing more of the business end, because if you really want to help the people that you're working with, what it costs them is a massive part of that, because it, it changes matters. whether or not yeah. they actually come in to see you when there's a problem, or whether they delay, or whether they, you know, they just try and deal with it themselves. You've, and they need your help. They need you working for them rather than working to try and see as many patients as possible and check the correct, the correct uh, insurance codes to get the most money for that particular visit, mm -hmm. which is where so much of a doctor's time is spent. Uh, yep. And there's, there's solutions out there. Go copy them. Don't go and <laughs> certainly don't go legislate, try and legislate them out of existence. Yeah, the solution is not more <laughs> regulation. Which is what a lot of people think that there's so many problems we have to, to regulate when you don't realize that half of the problems are because of existing regulation and adding more regulation, no matter how well intentioned, is just going to add more problems, often unforeseen. Right. And with that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at RethinkingPoliticsPodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at RethinkingPolitics.Podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.